This is Michelle Hoffman from the Science Desk. You're listening to 1590 WCGO Chicago Smart Talk. The Mike Novak Show starts in 3, 2, 1. Splash. Splash. And then I realized, no, 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 I'm actually way off. A virus is the ultimate David and Goliath. We must have a height advantage and a mass advantage of trillions uh, on a virus, and yet it can take you down. It can kill you. It's like Luke Skywalker taking out the Death Star in a little X-Wing fighter. And, I mean, viruses are pretty amazing. I bet most of you have a, a, uh, this level of uh, understanding, at least, that, that they go into a cell. It's barely a life form on its own, but when it goes into a cell, it completely takes over the machinery and turns it to its own uses. Um, it's a hostile takeover, you know? Your cells under new management. <laughs> And I mean, it really, truly, it's, it's bizarre. And if you think about this kind of stuff too hard, here's the kind of jokes you come up with. <laughs> a virus walks into a bar. <laughs> the bartender says, we don't serve viruses in this bar. The virus replaces the bartender and says, now we do. <laughs> An infectious disease walks into a bar. The bartender says, we don't serve infectious diseases in this bar. The infectious disease says, well, you're not a very good host. <laughs> That's okay. Groaning is acceptable. The joke is sound. Two bacteria walk into a bar. The bartender says, we don't serve bacteria in this bar. The bacteria say, but we work here. We're staff. <laughs> It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio, flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome at 877-711-5611. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas, wind blowing through breathing trees, strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets. This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. And by Happy Leaf LED Grow Lights, USA made with a five-year warranty. Jumpstart your plants with better light. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. And what better way to start the show than with some dumb jokes. Science jokes, though. <laughs> Uh, and I saw Randall shaking his head going, oh, boy, Be- because I didn't have this. Oh, can we have the uh, the uh, Prodcom? Here we go. There we go. That's what we need. I know. I was sitting there listening to those when, when I got the recordings <laughs> earlier this week going, where's my rim shot? <laughs> I laughed when I found them online. I laughed when I recorded them. I laughed just now <laughs> hearing them again, even though you need to play this. All right. A virus walks into a bar. A bar. <laughs> uh, and that's the name of the uh, the piece. It's called A Virus Walks Into a Bar. And other science jokes, a guy named Brian Mallow, M-A-L-O-W, 
on something called Fora TV. Fora.tv. Hmm. Have you heard of that? No. I have not. Nope. So that's where I commandeered that from. Welcome to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Uh, if you got a bad science joke, give us a call, 877-711-5611, and we will put it on the air, I guarantee. Randall's shuddering already. I know. This could <laughs> and be... And it's not just the cold weather. This could be the end of things. This could be it. This is, could be the uh, the death knell of the show. Wow. I uh, Before I came here this morning, um, I did a little extra shoveling out front. Mm-hmm. I did my shoveling yesterday. I, I have to... My neighbors don't like me right now because I I got up yesterday. Oh, my gosh. I think somebody's calling in with a science joke right now. Oh, no. That's, that's terrifying. Okay. Uh, I I got up and I heard this in front of the house. I, mm-hmm. And I think, okay, somebody's got the blower out and they're, they're working it. And I look out and, of course, my neighbor's doing my front walk and, like, somebody else's mm-hmm. is in his own. I went, okay, that's fine. And I thought, okay, then I'll go out, I'll do my stairs, and I'll do the extra stuff, because he's just doing a path down the middle of the sidewalk in front. A little while later, I hear kaboom, 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 on the stairs. And I think, what the heck? And I look out, his wife is cleaning my stairs. <laughs> I said, get Uh-oh. out, Olga, get out of here. Get out of here. Go away. Leave. I, will, I can handle my own stairs, okay? I can handle that. <laughs> she looks up, up at me. I said, no, go. Get, get out of here. Uh, so, uh, because, so, so you shoveled everyone's alley. Uh, I, sho- I did shovel the alley, but I shoveled, shoveled the neighbor, uh, their front part of uh, their, their porch and their stairs mm-hmm. and their walk there. Um, because I felt like, okay, now I got to make up mm-hmm. for this. And then I did my back and then I did part of my alley and there's, it, you know, it wasn't, it didn't kill me. It was, uh, actually good, healthy exercise. I, that, that was, that's kind of it. I feel like. I want that exercise. I don't get a lot of exercise in the winter. So if I can shovel some snow, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people shoveling out all over the United States this morning. Um, This, that storm just, and, uh, and again, folks, I'm reminding you, it does not have a name. Okay. Uh, no matter what the snow. Weather, what, That's its name. No snow. matter what the Weather Channel tells you, it does not have a name. Okay, we, we got a break, but uh, we are talking perennials today on the show with Susan Martin and Laura Dieter. Uh, they're with the Perennial Plant Association. The Perennial Plant Association is coming to the Morton Arboretum on February 2nd to do a symposium. Uh, and uh, they're going. it's called Back to Basics, and they're going to be part of it. And we're going to have some fun talking about gardening with perennials, really, on a snowy day in January. So stick around. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, and we'll be right back. When you want the best science for your trees, go to Bartlett Tree Experts. They pioneered integrated pest management, or IPM, in the 1970s, introduced the first organic fertilizer, and now Bartlett is the first and only tree care company to research the benefits of biochar on urban soils and tree health. Put science to work for your trees. Get a free estimate today. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. You can enjoy fresh local food all winter long at Indoor Farmer's Markets, hosted by different Chicagoland houses of worship on select Saturdays and Sundays from now through April 6th. Your purchase of sustainably produced foods helps support regional farm families. The markets are organized by Faith in Place, a nonprofit which inspires people of all faiths to care for the earth through education, connection, and advocacy. 
For a market schedule and more info, go to faithinplace.org. More than ever, Chicagoans are looking for resources to help them lead a healthier, more sustainable lifestyle. I'm Peggy, and I publish Natural Awakenings, Chicago's greenest and healthiest local magazine. And if you want to reach consumers that support this growing wellness market, you need to get your business in front of our 80,000 monthly readers. Why? Because our advertisers tell us our readers are committed to improving their health, leading greener lives, and taking action. They're looking for holistic wellness practitioners, integrative doctors, nutritionists, nutritionists, organic products, relaxation options, fitness and yoga classes, green landscapers, energy efficiency experts, and more. Our dedicated readers pick up their free copies of Natural Awakenings each month throughout Chicago and the suburbs because they know it's our area's best source for information about healthy green living. Call me today at 847-858-3697 to learn more and check us out at nachicago.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. Your talk. This is your talk. Only on 1590. Your talk. WCGO Evanston, Chicago. Yeah, this is what you should be doing on a snowy day in January. Can we take just a little bit of the bass out of there? Yeah, what? Just, just a little bit of that. Now I'm feeling like yeah, I'm... Now you're in a, in, a, in a barrel or a bucket or something. Hi, how are you? Okay. Uh, welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Yes, we're talking gardening this morning. And uh, we're very pleased to have a couple of folks on the show uh, who are going to be speaking very soon at uh, at uh, the Midwest 2019 Midwest Perennial Plant Association Symposium Back to Basics. It's at the Morton Arboretum. I saw that coming up. I got a notice from it from uh, one of their PR folks. And I said, uh, look at those great speakers at this perennial mm-hmm. plant. And, and, and I have to admit, we don't talk on this show that much about perennials, or we haven't. I mean, we do... In terms of plants, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of the plants you put in your garden, they're perennials, and uh, and there's a lot of them are herbaceous perennials. But a shrub is a perennial because it comes back to, mm-hmm. but it's not called an herbaceous perennial because it's not herbaceous. Uh, enough of that. Let's go to the phone <laughs> and, and bring in Susan Martin. Susan, good morning. Good morning. And uh, Susan's uh, across the lake. How much snow did you get across the lake? You know, less than they had predicted. We only got about four inches here. Oh, well, okay. We got about five, and it's a major event here <laughs> in Chicago, right? Oh. <laughs> so, and Peggy, you got a little more. About eight inches. Yeah, up she north, got about yeah. eight, eight inches of snow up. She's a, a little further wow. north of the city. Uh, and Susan is a, a writer, a speaker, um, and works in the horticulture industry. Uh, forever and ever, um, you're a native of Michigan, you live in Michigan, um, and you write for a blog at gardencrossings.com, but you have your own blog as well, and and what do you call that, Susan? Uh, That's Gardener Sue's News, and I maintain that on Facebook, actually, to make easy access for everybody. So so that's basically where you can find it, at Gardener Sue's News is, uh, is on Facebook. And you're going to be talking about shade gardening, right? I am. 
I'm going to be talking about lessons learned under the trees. So I've been gardening uh, entirely in shade for about 13 years now, and I've been speaking for about 15 years, but this is the first time I'm actually going to present a talk on my own garden and the lessons I've learned um, gardening here under the trees for the last uh, 13 years. So all of the pictures in the talk will be from my own garden. And um, it'll be a storytelling kind of talk. It's not going to be a real technical talk. It's meant to be inspirational and give you some new ideas. So whose gardens have you been talking about in the past? (laughs) Well, I've been talking about uh, a lot about new plants Mm -hmm. and plants for uh, that solve problems for people um, that are, I've worked very closely with the people who produce plants, uh, specifically perennials uh, and annuals too, um, for years. So now I'm, and and as a garden writer, um, one of the big benefits of being a garden writer is you get people to send you free plants to trial. So I I literally have (laughs) over a thousand different kinds of plants growing in my garden. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So my goal is to trial them for everybody else uh, and and I'll, I'll make the failures myself. And then I'll talk about um, both the failures and the successes just uh, to give some people some new ideas of what will grow in shade. You know, uh, that, that has happened to me over the years too. Here's my problem. I can't, there's no way I can fit a thousand plants in my garden uh, because I live in the city and I live in a typical city lot in Chicago, and that's tiny. That's what I got. Um, and so I still, have, right. I still have a lot of one of, you know, one-offs uh, in, in the yard. Um, and uh, going back to whenever, like 20 years I've been doing this, and now I've gotten to the point where I've started to take them out. and like, okay, you've served your purpose. Um, I don't need you here anymore. I'm trying something else. And that's kind of one of the hardest things to do in your garden is when you decide the plant is, is, has uh, served its uh, purpose and now you're moving on to something else. Um, that's why it's good to have a lot of room. You can keep some of that. But in a small mm-hmm. space, you're constantly changing it up. Especially if you don't have a lot of sun. And I totally agree. I, I am a roger myself. Once I, uh, the plant has taught me the lesson it has to teach, uh, it gets the ouster. And as a result, my neighbors also have beautiful gardens. <laughs> of course. Well, that's great. They that get you... a lot of pass-along plants. I'm glad you they share. They get a lot of pass-along plants. It's good to live near Susan. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. All right. Now you have a co-conspirator uh, that day. Actually, you have, a, you have a number of co-conspirators who will be speaking that day. But the, the one who's on the show is Laura Dieter. Uh, he, she's a professor of horticulture at the... Ohio, gosh, it just hurts to say that. The Ohio State yeah. University. Ohio State. Uh, uh, and no, uh, it sounds wonderful when everybody emphasizes the D. The. Uh, only football players do that. You realize <laughs> <Ohio> that. <State. laughs> uh, she's. Well, uh, as a graduate several times, I make sure I emphasize that a lot. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, she, with no hint of sarcasm at all. <laughs> none at all. None. <laughs> uh, and. Uh, uh, she's a, um, a program coordinator for landscape horticulture and horticulture science. Um, what else do you do over there, uh, Laura Dieter? Well, if it has to do with teaching of landscape classes, plant identification, landscape construction, AutoCAD design, ecology, plant health management, that's me. 
All right. So just a so little. I teach a lot of classes. Yeah, a little bit of everything. They say to you, "Okay, we've we got a gap here. We need it filled. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna play spackle for uh, your horticulture. Spackle is what you are." Yes, jack of all trades when it comes to horticulture. Yeah, and your talk is about the lighter side of what garden design. Is that how, what you would say? Yeah, I also tend to like the perennials. I fell in love with the the herbaceous perennials many, many, many years ago, and Mm -hmm. I see people not really knowing how to utilize them, and that causes some hilarity in the garden. (laughs) And so I have a lot of pictures from traveling with the Perennial Plant Association and taking a lot of pictures of beautiful gardens and gardens that are interesting is, is perhaps a good way to put it. But the reality is, to me... Gardening and landscape is all an art form, and I might not like a painting in a museum, but I understand why it's there. And so getting people to recognize that you can improve your garden by following just a few simple rules, that can help. And then showing them how to break those rules. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's, let's... I break every single one of the design rules <laughs> in my garden. Well, there you go. And, and that is, is rules are, are, are made to be broken. And uh, so let's talk about... And that's my generation, too. We love to break rules. Uh, okay. And uh, let's start with some of those rules. What What is a rule that... Well, you know, folks, when I go into a, a garden talk, um, uh, I, I, I have said, and I do this to be provocative, I, and I mentioned this on the show a couple of weeks ago, I think, that uh, sometimes I will go in and I'll say, hey, garden design is overrated. Uh, and, uh, and, and I did that once in a garden and woman said, no, you have to have some planning. And I said, okay, here's the planning. Put the little plants in front of the big plants. End of story. Um, what kind of, (laughs) what kind of rules, (laughs) what kind of rules, Laura, would you start with? Uh, just as, as basics for, let's say you got somebody knows nothing about gardening. They're going at it for the first time. Uh, and they, they, they're just you know, newborn with milk behind the ears. What do you tell them? Let's take that example that you just gave. You put the little plants in front of the big plants. Great. That's a wonderful start. Landscaping is an interactive art form. Painting, you just look at it. Landscaping, you want people to interact with that. And mm-hmm. oftentimes the way we interact with a landscape is to move around and through that landscaping. So when you put the little plants in front of the big plants, the movement is as simple as moving your head down to see the little plants and your head up to see the larger plants. But what if we take a medium-sized plant and we put it just in front of a little plant? Not only do I have to move to see things, I have to move my entire body. I have interacted with the garden, and the designer has forced a slightly different viewpoint. Hmm. Not. So that's what I'm talking about about breaking the rules a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 one of those rules is well, and it's not even a rule. Uh, the idea that folks have that their garden should always be on the perimeter of their yard because that's where gardens go. Because that's what your mom did, actually. And you try not to do what your mom did so much. At least. And that's a rule of order. And so people just presume. Like you said, the I think so. It's a, or a rule of order and neatness. And I think neatness is also one of those rules that needs to be broken as often as possible. Uh, what would you say to that, Laura? About the neatness thing? Yeah. I could show you my garden right now. Of course, it's under 15 inches of snow, <laughs> but I don't cut back. I, don't, I haven't cut back anything because 
the plants survive better. The birds like the shelter. The um, garden does better. I like the interest when we do get the snow of, oh, here's a little mound of something. And I don't do any cleanup until the spring when I start to see who survived and what needs cut back and Mm -hmm. what might need to be dug up and moved someplace else. All right. Um, You were talking about plants around the border. What I see, at least in Ohio, is plants around the foundation of the house. Yeah. Which means that we've, we've got these huge frames called windows, and most Americans spend a lot of time inside looking out. Well, that's a frame, but we haven't given ourselves anything to look at through the frame. <laughs> so gardens framed on the other side of a window is a beautiful thing. So put your plants on the borders. Put your plants around the edges. That gives you something to look at through your window. Well, it, it depends. I mean, if, if the border is right under the window, then you probably won't see a, a whole lot. But it, see, I'm, I'm a guy who would say put it right smack in front of the window, and that's where a lot of people want to put their lawns. Uh, and I think you, you, you have a better sight of your garden if you put it smack in front of the window. Am I wrong? Not if you're inside. If you're outside, yes. <laughs> if you're outside, yes. Now, it, a lot of it depends upon the function you want for your garden. Is your garden designed for curb appeal for the house? Then, yes, you need it to be visible as people are driving by or as you're pulling into the driveway. Yeah. Uh, but if you want your garden to be visible from inside your house, putting it right next to the house doesn't make any sense. I'll pipe in and say you really need to design for your primary point of view. If my primary point of view, yes, since I go. work from mm-hmm. home office, is out my office window, so one of my prettiest garden beds is about 20 feet off of my foundation uh, with, with, with lawn in between, and I look out at a beautiful garden bed from my office window. Or if you spend a lot of time in your kitchen, make sure the viewpoint designing from your the view from inside your house looking out your kitchen window is beautiful. If, if you spend most of your time inside, then design your bed to be viewed from the inside. There you go. Uh, and uh, I, what I would advise people at that point is go outside more, too, mm-hmm. you, <laughs> and wander around in your garden. <laughs> oh, please. please go outside more. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, uh, since you spoke up, and I appreciate that, Susan Martin, uh, what kind of basics, would since you're talking about shade gardening, what are, what are the pitfalls that people, aside from thinking that they can grow a rose in an hour and a half worth of sunlight, what kind of pitfalls do folks fall into when they have shade gardens? Well, usually one of the biggest ones is deer and other critters because with trees and woods and shade come critters. <laughs> so people tend to plant things like hostas, which are deer salad, mm-hmm. uh, when they have a garden that's visited frequently by deer. So. I think one of the biggest things to learn um, when you have a shade garden is what you really can grow successfully, and there's a lot of trial and error there. And then I tell people, when you find something that works, do more of it. You know, if you find that hellebores or Lenten roses um, grow really well for you in the shade because no critters eat them and they thrive in dry shade, then start collecting hellebores. They come in almost every color of the rainbow, and they're beautiful evergreen perennials, so do more of what works is a good piece of advice. Hellebores are pretty cool. I, I have to admit, I, 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 and they're probably an underutilized plant, kind of like pulmonaria, which is an underutilized plant in, in the yard, uh, kind of like uh, epimedium, 
which is uh, underutilized, I would think. I, you know, I, I think, uh, Susan, that a lot of people go to the palate they know. And as you mentioned, it's hosta and it's impatience. And uh, what else can you add into there? I'm not exactly sure, but they they go they go to the same they go to the same old same old, and it, it that's why a lot of gardens look the same. Exactly, and that's exactly why you go to conferences like the Perennial Plant Association <laughs> Symposium because that's where you learn um, what new things to try and get inspired and learn from others who are being successful in areas you aren't. So wintertime is the perfect time to educate yourself and Mm -hmm. to find some new things to try and prepare for the new season. So that's why the timing of this symposium is absolutely ideal. And you can find out more about that at perennialplant.org, or you can go to mortonarb.org slash courses and find that info. Or you can go to mikenovak.net. I've got the links up there. Okay, we're going to take a short break. And we'll be back with Susan Martin and Laura Dieter. We're talking perennials. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. This is Mike Novak. One of the best salads I ever had was courtesy of a friend who grew it in her living room using Happy Leaf LED grow lights. 50,000 plus hour minimum lifespan, five-year warranty, USA made. What's not to like? Whether you're a beginner or a gardening whiz, these lights are the face of 21st century growing technology. Go to happyleafled.com and save 10% on purchases above $100 when you use the code Mike. Happy Leaf LED grow lights, moving the garden to your living room. We all love our pets, but do you ever stop to think that farmed animals are deserving of love and care, too? The Mike Novak Show is teaming with Crate Free Illinois to present a screening of the award-winning film Eating Animals on February 12th at Dovetail Brewery in Chicago. A panel of farmers and activists, moderated by Bill Turk of Playtime with Bill Turk and Carrie Kendall, will explain how you can make simple, humane choices in your everyday life. For tickets and information, go to the Crate Free Illinois Facebook page. This is Mike Novak. The song says it's the most wonderful time of the year, unless you're homeless. And I'm Bill Turk. It's hard to know what to do, but you can design a care kit for people in need, something that will do some good in the short run. And I'm Peggy Malecki. The number one item people need is good socks, high quality wool or thermal. Hats, gloves, and scarves are also important, along with hygiene products like deodorant, body wash, toothbrushes and toothpaste, Band-Aids, lip balm, wet wipes, even nail clippers. Food products can include high-protein snacks, easy-to-open tuna, crackers and peanut butter, applesauce, granola bar, or fruit rolls. And I put everything in a one-gallon Ziploc bag. And if you can, make a connection. Offer a smile or even your first name. And don't forget to include some feminine products, too. You're not changing the world. Just making one person's world a little better for a little while. They're having the same conversation that we are, Randall, about the sound. Okay. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Very pleased to have on the phone this morning Susan Martin uh, from Gardner Sue's News and Laura Dieter, uh, professor of horticulture at The Ohio State University. Gosh, it, I, I, Laura, I, I have a confession to make. Uh, <laughs> Um, I, I went to the University of Michigan, okay? I'm just telling you, all right? Just letting you know here. Well, I won't hold that against 
And, uh, and and I'm drinking from my uh, Northwestern University uh, Wildcat so, mug here. So, so there you go. This is uh, our, our hail to the victors, Mike. Hail to the victors. Woo-hoo! Okay, so we we got. <laughs> I'm we got... a Michigan girl. <laughs> yeah. Well, you went you went to uh, Eastern. I'm going to go with the Big Ten rocks. How about that? Well, yeah. There we go. Okay. Yeah, you, you... All right. All right. I went to Michigan. <laughs> I went to University of Michigan for five years. So you, you did. I just graduated from Eastern. Oh. Okay. Wow, that's interesting. I uh, and you know, back in the day, we used to we used to take the caravan and go on into Ypsilanti and uh, and hang out at Eastern Michigan University as well. So that's what you do when you're in college. You <laughs> you, you find different, you, you know. And then I went to Western. You know, we'd go, go and hang, hang out at a different school, at Michigan State, and yeah, all those places. Uh, and we're talking. By the way, we're talking perennials. If you got a quick question, especially okay, I've got one for you. I had a friend of mine. Uh, write to me the other day, and he's got a garden uh, south of Chicago, and it's not just a garden. It's a huge area, um, and he's looking for plant suggestions, and he's got a quite a bit of shade. So maybe the two of you can kind of, you know, an online, or rather an on-air uh, advice session here. He says <laughs> he's got about 600 feet of tree line, Yikes! And I, he sent a photo. It's it's amazing. Uh, it's a mix of sycamore, maple, walnut, quite a bit of pines. Uh, from the tree line out, he wants to make a three or four foot wide border of shrubs, perennials, and maybe wildflowers. Now he did say the height topping at three feet, and I said, uh, "Why do you have that particular limitation to to it?" And 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 I think he's flexible on that. So, um, and he said it would be pretty shady. Um, and he's wondering what he would do. And I said, well, first of all, uh, because it's a huge area, he it's going to be hard to fill it uh, quickly unless you got a lot of money. Uh, I suggested maybe he needs some understory trees there to, to start uh, because there are wonderful understory trees that can handle shade and they look beautiful. And uh, uh, I'm just wondering... Uh, Susan and Laura, what you would think about that to start, but what else would you recommend for an area like that? So, uh, Mike, you had talked about common mistakes made in the shade garden, yeah. and your friend's making a classic one right there, okay. which is he's planting a three- to four-foot-wide border along a vast space, and that border is so narrow that he's planting that it will virtually completely disappear hmm. into that wood line. Yeah. So his first thing he needs to do is think about how tall those trees are. Let's say they're 30 feet. Then the maximum width of his border should be about a third to a half of that height to make it look balanced. Yep. So that means he needs to come out at least, oh, 10 feet minimum instead of three or four. And you actually can fill a space like that very quickly when you use understory shrubs like um, like viburnum. We have all kinds of beautiful viburnums that grow eight, ten feet across, you know, around in yes. a very short amount of time. Uh, Calicanthus sweet shrub is another absolutely beautiful, fragrant shrub that likes the part shades uh, of those and has magnolia-like flowers uh, in early summer. And there's all kinds of hydrangeas that can grow. You know, my limelight hydrangea, even though the tag says it grows only 8 feet tall, mine's <laughs> about 14 feet now after 13 years. 
So they can fill a whole lot of space in a short amount of time. Um, so I think that's where he really needs to start is by widening that border and um, putting in some anchor shrubs that can take some shade. I think that's an uh, excellent suggestion. Uh, Laura, do you want to chime in on this at all? Yeah, sure. I completely concur with that. And if you look at, say, bottle brush buckeye is another one that would grow under story, and you can use smaller trees. Um, Redbud and serviceberry are all native understory trees that will give you a variety of height. You can come out a little bit further in front of those guys and look at wax bells as a possibility. There are a stillbees that get three feet tall. There is goat's beard that can get four or five feet tall. A lot depends upon the moisture levels that he's dealing with there. Mm -hmm. But there are some larger perennials that you can then plant in front of those shrubs, mixing in those with the shrubs, and you can have a beautiful foliage and flowering combination most of the summer. But I agree with Susan. You have to bring that front of the border out mm-hmm. further. Well, and I and and that's Susan. That's such a brilliant uh, 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 suggestion there, uh, acknowledging that the way we think. And this is this is what I was talking about, alluding to earlier when I said the people they do this around their fence because so they can have a two foot, three foot wide thing that goes all the way around their border on the on the perimeter, and that's how we think. And and for some reason, we're locked into that instead of the idea that it could be deeper and more lush and... And and variegated and not just a straight curve in front of something either. Or straight line or straight curve or whatever. And I think that's really uh, an important thing. And it's one of the things I said to him, too. I said, how far are you willing to plant interplant uh, the uh, various things in that border? So he will have to get out of that mindset. and, And I think perhaps with the suggestions you made, he, he can do that. Um, I love the suggestion. I love all the suggestions. Uh, goat's beard is a particularly wonderful, uh, plant. Um, I haven't grown it in a long time simply because it would overpower my yard. And, and Susan, you brought out a really good point is that even plants that are considered dwarf plants can get to be Mm -hmm. much larger than you think, which is good in, in this case particular situation not so good in my chicago situation because uh, uh for example i had a a what was called a, a dwarf lilac and it suddenly was seven feet tall and i said well wait a second that's dwarf okay um that's not working here you know and they'll they'll sometimes grow rather large and what i ended up doing is putting it in a container and since and i left it in the container it's been in a container for 15 hmm. years blooms regularly and does not get higher than about 4 feet so it's it's a perfect way to deal with it. just <laughs> constrict the roots and then, and then it can't you can't do much more and a lot of shrubs i found will actually uh handle containers very well they send they uh they tend to uh, survive in them for some reason and uh there you go so uh but i i love i love all those ideas and i think that's a great way to go uh i want to get uh to laura uh, a little bit about you you know ha- talking about interesting designs and and maybe goofy a little funny um i suppose you have examples of that um, for your talk, what kind of stuff do you see out there that makes you scratch your head? Well, I um, use the example all the time with my students of what I term landscape zip, and people who are in love with their power tools and trim things 
into <laughs> tight little balls yeah. that, to me, look like it's ready to, to, to uh, do their thing. And, and while I understand the point of pruning, I don't understand necessarily the point of pruning them so tight to, to shearing them within an inch of their lives, and particularly shearing in certain, in certain shapes. So that's, that's one thing that I see that is kind of a pet peeve of mine. But for me, it's all about the art and the fun that you have in the garden. Mm-hmm. And I'll use my own garden as an example. I have a tenth of an acre, very small property. I have I don't have a thousand perennials in it, but I have over three hundred different species of of perennials in in my garden. And I have a hundred pink flamingos. <laughs> so my neighbors every summer have to look out on a hundred pink flamingos <laughs> because they're fun and they're silly. And gardening is such hard work. And you're back hurts and your knees hurt. You can't get the dirt out from under your fingernails no matter what you do. So you might as well have fun with it. So that's part of my entire thing is this this should be fun. We do mm-hmm. this for fun. Don't take it so seriously. I, well Oh exactly. <laughs> I, I, I get that. I, I, I do. I get that. Even though I know that you have to balance that somehow. It's because it it should be fun, but it's there's going to be work. It's not it's not going to be all uh, a bed of roses, as they say. It's uh, you know you do have to put a little effort into it. But you're right. Uh, if you can find the the part of it that, for instance, if you're out there working hard and you think, well, at least I'm getting really good exercise, that's good. Mm-hmm. You know, find find the positive on that. I want to go to you, uh, uh, Susan. Um, and uh, we've got just a couple of minutes left here. Um, go into some more of the uh, the shade plants that you think might be uh, valuable for people. Uh, you mentioned deer. I don't have that problem, so I could I could grow hostas. But let's say I don't want to grow hostas in the city of Chicago. Um, what kind of plants would should I be looking for in a small space? Well, let's go back to that goat spirit because I have some really good news for you. There are dwarf goat beards that are actually dwarf, <laughs> and you can grow them in containers. I don't even, believe on you. On your deck. <laughs> okay. Yeah, really. There's actually a lot of breeding going on with goat beard right now. So while the traditional species that you think of is five feet tall, um, there are some that are only ten inches tall, and they bloom with white flowers, just like the the big one, but in a tiny little packet. And since they're zone three hardy, you can actually even overwinter them hmm. in that container in Chicago, which is, which is zone five. So um, you can look for um, one called Chantilly lace that's new, um, or fairy hair that's coming out. That one's really cool. It has needle-like foliage and white hmm. flowers. Um, but there's all kinds of things. So like I said, if if something works for you, then explore that category deeper. So if you know the tall goat's beard would work for you, but you don't have room, explore goat's beard deeper and see what other varieties there might be. That's a really good point. Um, and then, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're out of time. Um, what I'm going to tell folks is go to Gardener Sue's News. I've got the link here. Uh, find uh, the Perennial Plant Association Symposium. There are still tickets. You can get on board. Thank you, Susan Martin. Thank you, Laura Dieter, for being on the show. From boat to doorstep. 
you can have the best in premium and sustainable Alaskan seafood right here in the Midwest. Sitka Salmon Shares is an Alaskan community-supported fishery, or CSF, comprised of small boat family fishermen from southeast Alaska. They're supported by 4,000 CSF members, and you can be one, too. Sign up at SitkaSalmonShares.com to receive fresh Alaska salmon, whitefish, and more in shares ranging from three to nine months. Use promo code MikeNovak18 for $25 off. Go to SitkaSalmonShares.com. Wild Things is back. I'm talking about the 2019 Wild Things Conference on February 23rd at the Donald E. Stevens Convention Center in Rosemont. There's nothing like it anywhere else in the country, as naturalists, citizen scientists, conservationists, birders, and more converge for more than 100 seminars, as well as comedy, workshops, and goodwill, and perhaps a libation afterwards. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki is a media sponsor again this year. Get your tickets at wildthingscommunity.org. Being a meteorologist, you see things daily that can be related or not related to climate change. And then you separate that from the climate science and the social policy. So it's almost like teaching three classes. The meteorology, which is short-term, the climate, which is long-term, and then the policy, which is government, whether or not it's federal, state, or local. I'm meteorologist Rick DeMaio. Stick around for some more insight into weather and climate on WCGO 1590, Chicago's Smart Talk. Do you love trees? Do you have a great story to tell about a special tree in your life? The Morton Arboretum and Openlands have partnered to launch Tremendous Tree Stories, an online collection of stories highlighting people's connection to trees. Submit stories of the trees you cherish, remember from childhood, or that hold a special meaning for you. Browse the collection and consider sharing your own tree story by visiting tree-stories.org. Tree-stories.org. This is your talk. You want to just put in hashtags in any of your social media. Hashtag 1590WCGO. Evanston, Chicago. I would pay good money to see the Gypsy Kings. (laughs) Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. So now you have all those great gardening ideas. You go out in your yard. and uh, I I think the the last thing that Susan said was really important, which is, like me, uh, talking goat's beard and thinking Mm -hmm. it's going to overpower my yard. Duh. Let's remember that there are new varieties coming out all the time, and this is something that you might add, you might find something that will actually fit mm-hmm. in the yard. But the other thing is don't settle for the same old, same old. Um, everybody just goes right to the hosta. They go right to the impatience, and they're, like, done. Go to the familiar plants they know. As, That's right. As Laura and Susan said, this is winter. It's a great time to educate yourself. It's a great time to see what else is out there. Yeah. So uh, I advise you, and you, like I said, there's still tickets available for the 2019 Midwest Perennial Plant Association Symposium, Back to Basics. That's February 2nd uh, at the Morton Arboretum in Lyle. And uh, it's, it's not as cheap as, let's say, the uh, Wild Things Conference, which is coming up and that Peggy and I are going to be part of. Um, but it's a little bit more. But you can, you're going to learn a ton. You're going to learn a lot. So there you go. Uh, I guess we there's a there's a, speaking of events there's one tonight <laughs> that is the the super moon 
uh, blood werewolf fa- <laughs> fangs and gore moon thing that eclipse uh, that that the whole the whole build up to it is so ridiculous. The super blood red moon. Yeah, the su- that if we get clouds, then well, you miss it. <laughs> well, and I don't know that we will have them no. here. I think we're going to be able to see it. No, the moon was but, out last night at, by about eleven o'clock. Yeah, well, like I was going out the door at eleven o'clock. Okay, like I was going to go stand outside when it was five degrees or whatever it is, and it's going to be the same tonight, right? We'll find out from Rick DeMaio. It's coming up in the second hour, but uh, let's see. Well, it's going to be roughly. 7 p.m. Why do they use Pacific time? Okay, what 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 science? 9 p.m. I know science alert here. That would be 10 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Eastern, and, yeah. And, yeah, nine nine fifteen Central. So, um, and that's uh, it's one of the last ones you're going to be able to see this easily uh, for a while, for a few years. I mean, there will be other eclipses, but uh, this is like prime time. Eclipse, go out and see it. Um, I had a, an article here. I'm, I sh- I, that's not the right one. Da, 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 that was, uh, oh, right. There we go. Go to space. Space.com yeah, will tell it. you everything they need to, you need to know about that. But um, it says, and I didn't realize this, more than three years have passed since most of North America saw a good total lunar mm. eclipse. Well, that, your your opinion <laughs> space.com um so they uh, call it an epic moon event well because it's the super moon which means it's closer to the earth which mm-hmm. means it's it's larger and uh, you get the blood moon uh because it looks red when it goes into total eclipse um the viewing stance uh, circumstances will be as good as they can get for much of the United States and Canada the eastern side of the continent has the best view, but the spectacle of the moon completely immersed in Earth's shadow will be readily visible from coast to coast. The dura- See, it's, it's the American eclipse. That's what they should... It's American eclipse. American we have eclipse. American eclipse today. Uh, the duration of totality will be longer than normal. It will last one hour and two minutes. Now, it's not hmm. like when I went to see the eclipse of the sun in 2017... And that lasted like a minute and 20 seconds. Mm-hmm. And that was considered huge, a long time. This is an hour and yeah. two minutes. So That'll be cool. wander out there sometime during totality and you're really going to have a good time. It, it, except if it's three degrees outside. But, well, uh, then you know, bundle up. I guess. Or out walking the dog or, or... Some of us, my cat won't like that. I'm not taking my cat outside in this weather. So there you go. Uh, yes, go. Well, I was going to give a promo for next Sunday's show. Speaking of gardening, um, okay. Chicago Botanic Garden horticulturist Lisa Hilgenberg is going to be here. She's going to be talking about winter seed starting, seed swaps, and indoor gardening. It's that time of year, yeah. folks. So, yeah, it's great to have her uh, back on the show. So, welcome, Lisa Hilgenberg. And um, uh, it, it's been a long time since she's yeah. been on the program. And she... She's in charge of 50,000 vegetables. <laughs> I mean, it's a small number at the uh, Chicago Botanic Garden. No pressure. No, no pressure no at pressure. all. But I am interested in what uh, what they have going and what they're, they're all, like we talked in the previous segment, you're looking for new varieties of mm-hmm. things. That's what Lisa Hilgenberg does, except yeah. she's doing it in terms of vegetables. And she's gone through all the seed catalogs and they're already... So you don't have yes. to. 
So she'll be talking about all sorts of new uh, vegetable varieties for 2019. And I went uh, yesterday to KAM, Isaiah Israel. Uh, They had their design session yesterday afternoon, and a lot of people braved the end of the snowstorm to come out there. Um, And it's interesting, I was talking to uh, Robert Neville, who was on the show last week, about seed selection there. And he, and I said, so who do you order from? And he says, they they always go to Johnny's Select Seeds. Mm-hmm. They, there's 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 a half a dozen to a dozen really good seed companies uh, in the in the country. Uh, and Johnny Select is one of them. We'll talk to uh, Lisa Hilgenberg next week. And I think what we should do is get a list of those seed companies that uh you should know about mm-hmm. we've talked to the guy at baker creek yeah um and i'm forgetting his name do you it'll come to you jerry jerry it's jerry but i can't think of his last name okay and it's not baker no i know it's not uh but he's uh he's a very interesting guy he's got an interesting story and there's some really really great seed companies out there so i'll, I'll bring in the stack of catalogs next week too uh, okay all right that would be a good thing it's been filling up the mailbox uh, and uh, while we're on the subject of KAM Isaiah Israel, uh, today is the second day of the Martin Luther King Food Justice and Sustainability Weekend, which I could not say last week, but now I can say it today when they're not in the studio. Uh, and there are seminars going on, I think starting in about four minutes. Um, but you can head down to KAM Isaiah Israel. Just uh, You can go to my website and look at last week's show, and it's got all the information. It's at um, Greenwood and High Park Boulevard, basically. Look for uh, Barack Obama's home. and <laughs> Yeah, 1100 East Hyde Park Boulevard. 1100 East Hyde Park Boulevard. And, uh, and it's all free. That's the other thing. It's all free, and there's some great, great seminars there. So you probably want to take advantage of that today. And everything shoveled, so now now you can go. You Get know, a parking you, spot. No you don't problem. Ha- you don't have to worry about that. Uh, and I, and um, there are so many events coming up. You know, we talked about the Perennial Plant Association thing, uh, the Martin Luther King Day today. Uh, we've got um, the Crate Free Illinois event is coming up on the twelfth of February, and our good friend Bill Turk from Playtime with Bill Turk and Carrie Kendall will be hosting that. However. There's been a change in plans. I didn't think I was going to be there. Well, guess what? I'm going to be there. So, but Bill is still the moderator for that. Um, I turned it over to him when you and I thought we were going to be out of town for something else. And now that that fell through. And so, so now we'll all be there. We'll all be there. And I'm the tech crew at this point. <laughs> I'm. You and I will be there. We'll be putting this live on Facebook. We'll be doing a stream. Uh, and do we have that? I don't suppose you have that in the cheat sheet here. No. Uh, but yeah. it's at the Dovetail Brewing Company. That's what I couldn't remember. Dovetail Brewing, and it's on the 12th of February, and I believe it's like 6 p.m., 6.30 so, in, that, in that ballpark. Yeah. Uh, and a bunch of folks are going to be talking about the the film Eating Animals. And um, it's a conversation about, about being humane towards uh, farmed animals. So there you go. All right. We've got Deborah Shore, Commissioner of the MWRD, coming up next. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Captain's log, stardate 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. Inexplicable, Captain. They appear to be 
perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Warp. Killer asparagus was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work, and so am I. Mike Novak was one of the smartest, funniest people in the horticultural world of the 21st century. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Edgar Allan Poe. Raven Gosplach, my favorite holiday dish. Thank you, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, options. It seems to be available online at AroundTheBlockPress.com. AroundTheBlockPress.com. What do they have to say? Hmm. It appears that Mike Novak is a slapstick every gardener. I prefer my asparagus with a side of patach Mr. Wolf, are you joking? Actually, Captain, I believe he is choking. Welcome to the second hour of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. And by Sitka Salmon Shares, bringing responsible and sustainable wild Alaskan seafood direct to your door. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Nova. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We hope you're looking out at the beautiful sunshine, and we hope that it has some effect at all. I'm hoping that I took the extra time to shovel the half inch that Mm -hmm. came after I did my major shoveling yesterday. And now I'm hoping that the sun will actually melt the rest of it so that I'm a good neighbor and nobody falls down (laughs) and sues me. Uh, In the studio right now, uh, we're going to get to her really in the second hour, but she's standing here with the the headset on if you are looking on Facebook Live. Uh, and that is Deborah Shore, who's commissioner from the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District of Greater Chicago, which in itself is a mouthful. So sometimes we call it the MWRD, which is still a mouthful. <laughs> Deborah, good morning. Good morning. So glad to be back with you, Mike and Peggy. And we're I'm very, uh, well, thrilled to have you here because it's always great having you on mm-hmm. the show. We were uh, stunned Peggy and I to realize that it had been 2016 that the last time we talked, when we were not even here, we were at Pirate Radio at that part. Our Pirate Radio. Uh, but you came in, you were so gracious, and we talked about proper disposal of pharmaceuticals at the time. And, and we'll ask you a little bit about that when we get to it, because I'm hoping that that program is going well. Uh, and we got a lot of stuff about water quality in the metropolitan Chicago area. And if you got questions, and flooding which is all part of the deal, 877-711-5611. If you've got uh, a question that you want to ask, Deborah Shore, now's the time, okay? Uh, because, well, mm-hmm. uh, we'll get to, to that in a second. But we got a phone call. Let's go to the phone. And Fran is on. Good morning, Fran. You're on with uh, Mike Novak and Peggy Malecki. Hey, number one, coincidentally, I, I, I have opened in front of me a car- a copy of Chicago Wilderness Magazine. It may have been the best magazine of its kind, and I really miss it. Anyway, uh, and the, no, 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 and and what you should know is that Deb Shore had a lot to do. Yeah, you were the founder of Chicago Wilderness, weren't you? I was the founding editor mm-hmm. and edited the magazine for nearly a decade. Fran, thank you. You are among many who miss that magazine. 
I, I do too. Yeah. Uh, what a terrific magazine that was. But, you know, it's hard sometimes to keep those. Uh, ask Peggy. She's a publisher of a magazine, Natural Awakening Chicago, and it ain't easy, is it? No. <laughs> uh, Fran, what, what do you got to add to the conversation here? Okay, two things. Number one, I wanted to ask about, just in general, about coffee grounds. I have about 40 pounds of coffee grounds from the local Starbucks on my uh, porch, and I, I'd like to know, I'm, I'm hearing uh, conflicting, contradicting thoughts about it. Uh, they, some say that the the mineral content is good for the plant. Some say that it that it uh, that it that it isn't so hot. Others say scatter it, don't 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 mulch with it. Scatter it very thinly. Uh, on and on and on. And then number two, I'd like to give my particulars off air to to you uh, and hope that you'll hip that fellow you were talking about earlier to get in contact with me. I'm a former uh, president of a local Wild Ones chapter, uh, Sierra Club, Audubon, all that good stuff. And I'd really like to talk to this fellow about uh, the plantings uh, along that tree border of this, especially uh, layered plantings of, of natives. Sure. I think that's so, a great idea. He's looking for direction. He came to me, and, uh, you know, I'm a conduit. I don't have all the best advice. I know where I can find people who do have good advice, uh, like you. So I'm going to put the two of you in touch. Fran, send me your uh, uh, your contact information to mike at mikenovak.net, uh, and, um, okay. and uh, we'll do that. Okay, as for coffee grounds... And Randall's also going to yeah. get his info when we're done. Oh, okay, great. Randall Randall will get the info from you, uh, but you can also send it to me. Uh, we'll... we'll uh, um, doubly make sure that I've got it. Um, you, you know, coffee you, ground. You might like to know. You, you might like to know that I've converted two of my neighbors uh, uh, near Manhattan, where I have my little ten-acre paradise. I've converted. Excuse me. I, I've talked to them over the years into converting acres of their land into prairie and savanna. Really, very, very romantic work. Okay, coffee grounds, please. Uh, <laughs> coffee grounds uh, can be good for your garden. Uh, they're about 2% nitrogen. Uh, you don't have to worry about the acidity of uh, coffee grounds because that is, that is removed yeah. when you make the coffee. That's where the acid goes, and that's why people have acid reflux because <laughs> they're, okay. they're drinking that coffee. Okay. Now, uh, they're... They're basically the same carbon to nitrogen ratio as manure, about uh, twenty to one. Uh, however, you don't you don't want to put them directly onto your garden. It's better to compost them first. Okay, so uh, that is that's about the only thing I would say about that is that um, you know, and I'm sure people do, and I'm sure they get away with it. But this particular uh, article, and I and I'll do more research on it, but. Um, what I grabbed when I heard you were going to be talking to us here, uh, this fellow thinks it's best to compost. And, and you know what? I, normally it is just to get the microbes going in a compost pile and get the coffee grounds uh, mixed in with, with, with other materials. I think that's probably the best way to go rather than putting them directly on the garden. I will check on that to see if that is indeed mm -hmm. the case. Uh, and I will get back to you on that. But that's what I have right now. And we can or, ask Lisa next week, too, Lisa Hilgenberg. We'll talk to her as well. So uh, we'll get more information. That's what I have right now. Fran, I appreciate you calling. Okay. All right, it's the Mike Novak mm -hmm. Show with Peggy Malecki. Deborah Shore is next. 
This is Mike Novak. For the past couple of years, I've posted the progress of my tomato growing on social media. And each of those years, somebody said, what kind of sun do you have? My tomatoes are barely started. Folks, it's not the sun. I get my tomatoes started with Happy Leaf LED grow lights. Five-year warranty, USA made. Go to happyleaf.com and save 10% on purchases above $100 when you use the code MIKE. Happy Leaf LED grow lights. Jumpstart your tomatoes with better light. We all love our pets, but do you ever stop to think that farmed animals deserve love and care too? The Mike Novak Show is teaming with Crate Free Illinois to present a screening of the award-winning film Eating Animals on February 12th at Dovetail Brewery in Chicago. A panel of farmers and activists moderated by Bill Turk of Playtime with Bill Turk and Carrie Kendall will explain how you can make simple, humane choices in your everyday life. For tickets and information, go to the Crate Free Illinois Facebook page. Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? Well, that's never going to happen at Organic Roots Eco Salon. They use only the safest, most natural professional hair products available to make sure you get great color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their salon products and services are free from ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins typically found in hair color, perms, and keratin smoothing treatments. Organic Roots also offers a complete menu of safe straightening treatments, including the non-toxic Magic Sleek and Cezanne keratin smoothing products that let you shampoo the same day. They even repurpose hair clippings, recycle product containers, and use LED lighting. Now that's green. Walk into 21st Century Hair Care for women and men at Organic Roots Eco Salon, 3417 Dempster in Skokie. Book your appointment at organicrootsecosalon.com or call 847-423-2653. Health and beauty. You no longer have to sacrifice one for the other. Catch Playtime with Bill Turk and Carrie Kendall every Sunday from 1 to 3 p.m. right here on 1590 WCGO. I'm going to tell you a story. We mean the Chicago River, right? Uh, Deborah, do you remember this song? You must remember. <laughs> yeah, this is a song called "Dirty Water," and I thought it was <laughs> it was very appropriate for our conversation today. Uh, welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, uh, and I'm trying to remember. This is the uh, the original version, and I had the name of the group. Wait, give me two seconds. It's the Dirty Water. Uh, I'll look it up. No, no, no. I got it. Okay. I've got it right here. It is the, oh, not, this is not the Foo Fighters Dirty Water. No. There's a, this is the Standells. Thank you. Very much. The Standells from, I don't know, like way back in the 60s. So uh, in the studio, we have Deborah Shore, the, uh, one of the commissioners of the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District of Greater Chicago. And first of all, uh, we welcomed you before, but now I have to say congratulations on your reelection in November. Once again, uh, Deb was the highest vote getter uh, among the commissioners. And that really, that gets a ding. Um, third term. Uh, for your third term. Now, I've heard that this is your final term. Is that correct? Well, I... 
I haven't decided. Certainly there are a few more things I want to get done. Thank you, Mike and Peggy, for uh, asking me to join you here today. And uh, believe me, it's been an honor and privilege to serve the people of Cook County for two terms, and I look forward to my next. Well, I'm glad to hear that that you're still thinking this through because – we need people like you in government, all right? And I think there's it's not a surprise that you're the top vote getter because I don't think whether you're you know if you're doing what you're doing you're a politician. You can, you just can't get away from that, all right? But I don't think people view you as a politician. I think they view you as an advocate. I think they view you as a naturalist. They view you as uh somebody who's who's a, who's interested in good science uh for uh, you know, and as we mentioned in the previous segment, you started the magazine Chicago Wilderness. So your background is one of public service and public service uh, towards our natural environment or to our natural environment. And so I think that's what people mm-hmm. see when the, when they vote for you. At least that's what I think of when I vote for you. And I voted for you three times now. So um, uh, so we're we're glad to have you here. However, there's lots going on. Um, I don't know if you saw the the blog post I put up. I have a photo of the two of us at the McCook Reservoir before it got filled up. Uh, and that was in December 2017. Um, there was a ribbon-cutting ceremony and uh, blustery day there. And uh, that's part of something called Deep Tunnel. Uh, and you actually, and I want to thank you for this. You sent me an article the other day about that project, which is that was from Slate.com? Slate, and it's, you know, Deep Tunnel uh, or TARP or however you want to call it is now 50 years old and still not done. And it's possible that climate change has passed it by. I mean, and that that was sort of the focus of the article. You pushed back a little bit, but not completely on that. Uh, would you care to explain, uh, well, and uh, you explain Deep Tunnel and TARP and then the, the whole idea about the climate change? Uh that's a big ask, Mike. But all <laughs> and, and, and do it in thirty seconds, yes, please. Indeed. Okay, uh, I'll, I'll give en- her two minutes. Uh, okay, I'll endeavor to uh, do my best to answer it. Chicago and most of the other older cities have combined sewer systems, and Chicago and fifty of the suburbs have combined sewers, which means that the pipes that convey waste from our homes, from our toilets, our showers, our washing machines, our dishwashers lead to a trunk line down the middle of the street that also collects rain from the sewers in the Mm -hmm. streets. And that rain carries salt and oil and contaminants, little bits of uh, brake dust and, and pet poop and whatever into the sewers and mixes with sewage and gets sent to a sewage treatment plant. However, as you know, uh, pipes can only hold so much water and when they fill, they're designed to overflow directly into a nearby river or stream. That's called a combined sewer overflow. And what that means is that— Or dur- CSOs. CSOs, is, right. right. During a heavy rain event, uh, these outfalls along the Chicago River, the Sanitary Ship Canal, the Calsac Channel, the North Shore Channel, sometimes have overflows with— raw sewage mixed with other contaminants, which is terrible for mm-hmm. water quality. We're dumping pollution directly into our waterways. So in the late 1960s, early 1970s, as environmental awareness was growing, 
as we were leading up to the passage of the Clean Water Act and the Safe Drinking Water Act and the founding of the Environmental Protection Agency, Chicago Sewage Agency, then called the Metropolitan Sanitary District, came up with a plan to dig a canal, a tunnel, 300 feet below the Chicago River in four sections to capture those combined sewer overflows and keep them out of the waterways and three reservoirs to also capture those combined sewer overflows. And the goal was to prevent pollution in the waterways and to reduce flooding. The tunnel system was completed in 2006 and can hold two and a half billion gallons of combined sewer overflows, and it has filled many times. That water gets pumped to the sewage treatment plants and treated when they have the capacity to do so. So those, that two and a half billion gallons of contaminated water isn't put directly into the waterways. Two and a half of the three reservoirs are also completed. The large Thornton Reservoir off of I-80 and phase one of the Cook, McCook Reservoir off of I-55 that went online, as you note, in December of 2017. Mm-hmm. And Together, the system can hold billions of gallons of water and keep it out of the rivers and out of the lake. Interestingly, in February of last year, we had a significant storm when there was snow on the ground, the ground was still frozen, so it can't absorb rain, and so there was this heavy rainstorm, and the first phase of the McCook Reservoir only two months online, Mm -hmm. filled to capacity Mm -hmm. over 20 hours, three and a half billion gallons of water. I I wonder what it was like being an engineer on site watching that happen. The rest of the system also held up to nine billion gallons of water. But for the first time during a winter storm, meaning when the ground is frozen, since 1985, there were no reversals to the lake meaning the system worked, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's 9 billion gallons that would have gone into people's basements or into our waterways. So the system is working. It's reducing combined sewer overflows. It's improving water quality in the waterways. But as you note, the symptoms of climate change that we're seeing in our region are these more intense rainstorms that overwhelm the capacity of the local sewers which are owned and maintained by each municipality, to even send that increased amount of rain to the deep tunnel, to the reservoirs, to the larger interceptors. And so we have to use all the tools in our toolbox now and even some new ones to try to address climate change and help make our region more resilient and keep that water out of people's basements and out of the sewers. And I imagine one of the ways to do that uh, is not necessarily uh, big tunnels, which which has been adopted as a model by other cities across the country, even though this article in Slate says, yeah, it's, it, and as you just pointed out, yeah, it, it's worked. Uh, it, it, it's not perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe we need to, though, get back to the idea that we should let uh, water absorb into the the into the earth itself and, and stop paving over everything. I'm sure that... Make and the I know, city more of a sponge. And I know you've been working in that area as well. Certainly we need to look at removing some of that concrete layer we've laid over our landscape and give the land more ability to absorb water. 
But I am a bit worried about relying solely on green infrastructure, on rain gardens and permeable pavement and green roofs and bioswales because Chicago's pretty flat. It uh, was mm-hmm. compressed by the glacier 15,000 years ago, and about 12 to 18 inches below the surface is a thick clay layer in most of our mm-hmm. region. And that means we may only have 12 to 18 inches of absorptive capacity. And once you get that full of water, where's the rest going to go? And some of that water that's being... Well, we were a swamp when when people got here uh, at first. Well, that's exactly right. There's no downhill, nowhere to pump water away from us. Yeah. Wow. And... I want to point out, uh, to to backtrack just a little bit, you know, when we talk about TARP and we talk about Deep Tunnel, uh, the MWRD manages that because uh, the district's job is to protect the health and safety of the public, um, protect the quality of the water supply. Um, And what I wrote on my my blog, I, I posed a question um, uh, rhetorical, more or less, but it, the question is: What local organization is charged with keeping our water clean? Has an annual budget of 1.2 billion dollars, employs a staff of about 2,000, makes decisions that affect uh, 10 million residents, and flies beneath pretty much everybody's radar. And that's the MWRD. It sure is. Yeah. Why? Is this organization so hard to wrap your head around? I mean, the average citizen. Well, for many years up in, and by the way, in 2019, the Water Reclamation District is celebrating its 130th anniversary. Right. And it used to be called the Sanitary District of Chicago. Right. And in a way, uh, I was thinking about that as I was writing my blog, mm-hmm. in a way, that more accurately represents what you do. Uh, I know that it's, Everybody's into marketing, and, and, and in some ways, it was a marketing deal to change it to the water reclamation. Yes, you do reclaim water, but in some sense, the origin of it says best what you do is you, 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 you work on the sanitation in the city of Chicago. Am I wrong about that? No, you're right. And in fact, I talk about sewage treatment, though the more uh, common phrase now is wastewater treatment. Uh, but right now, the district's mission, as it initially was, is to keep... Uh, protect the water quality in Lake Michigan by keeping sewage out of the Mm -hmm. lake. And in late 2004, the district got additional authority for stormwater management. So it now manages two of the three legs of our freshwater ecosystem, namely used water and rainwater. But uh, I think people don't know about it or think about it because our water and sewage pipes are underground. So they're out of sight and right. largely out of mind. We want to flush our toilets. It goes away, and we don't. It's like our need garbage. We want our, to we want our garbage to go away too. And right. and what we keep saying on the show: there's no such thing as a way. It's got to go someplace. Right. And unfortunately, sometimes it goes into the Chicago River, and unfortunately, sometimes it goes into Lake Michigan. Not as often as before, because of what you guys are doing, which is a good thing. But as you pointed out, with climate change kind of all bets are off in that regard. We don't really know exactly what's going to happen in our future, do we? No, but we are already planning, working. Uh, the, the district has a budget of about $70 million a year devoted to stormwater projects. 
And those are both upsizing pipes, repairing culverts, but also installing uh, rain gardens and uh, bioswales and permeable parking lots and increasing reservoirs throughout Cook County. We need to do everything we can mm-hmm. and have a distributed network of rain capture systems to keep rain out of the sewers or slow the flow mm-hmm. so they can have the capacity to do their job. Now, you talked about the interceptor sewers, and a lot of communities have older infrastructures. And one of the articles I was reading was talking about um, leading to the reservoir, leading to the deep tunnel, being like a straw leading into a bathtub. So how does MWRD work with communities as far as improving that infrastructure so we don't get the backups? So we do partner with communities. Uh, They are largely responsible for maintaining, cleaning, upsizing their local sewers. Mm -hmm. But we are working with communities on flood prevention projects and stormwater projects throughout Cook County. We have a green infrastructure uh, proposals that are submitted once a year for funding, but we also work on a whole host of other projects with communities. And someday I hope we can get authority from the General Assembly to do some kind of cost-sharing program for uh, to work with municipalities and their residents to protect their homes mm-hmm. through a variety of mechanisms. Is there any chance that the city of Chicago will ever go away from a combined sewer system? I can't answer for the city, but I think the cost would be so astronomical yeah. uh, that I doubt it. So we have to sort of deal with this and, and, and do the workaround, yeah. uh, which is keep that water from going into the river, keep it from going into the lake. and Find uh, new ways to treat it and disinfect it. And... Right, and, and get it out there quickly. Uh, we're talking, by the way, to uh, Deborah Shore, commissioner from the MWRD in Chicago. we got about a minute here. Um, I'm going to... When we, we're going to have one more segment after this, mm-hmm. and, and, and i got a bunch of questions, and so we'll try to get through them as quickly as possible. And I'm going to start now and mention this before we go to the break, and that's you have new <laughs> – you're under new management. Uh, <laughs> you uh, have a new executive director, Brian A. Perkovich, and Carrie K. Steele was just elected president just a few days ago. Um, uh, I would like you, when we come back, to talk about what that means for the direction of the organization. And I also want want to talk a little bit about the weird circumstances under which your former executive director left. It wasn't as transparent as it could have been. And you've actually copped to that in an interview with the Chicago Sun-Times. And uh, I want to know what that means, especially for an organization that's $1.2 billion. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We'll be back with Deborah Shore after this. Want to have a healthier, more eco-friendly Green Diva kitchen? In a Green Diva Minute, you'll learn more and be on your way to living a deeper shade of green. The main characteristics of a Green Diva kitchen are that it produces delicious food, is healthy, eco-friendly, and low stress. Let's start by using more dish towels and cloth napkins because paper products make up one-third of municipal waste. Buying bulk dry goods saves money and reduces waste. Please recycle more. An estimated 80% of what Americans throw away is recyclable, yet our recycling rate is only 28%. Consider composting. It's easier than you think, and even if you live in an urban area, there are often municipal composting programs. And, of course, always try to buy local and organic food whenever possible. I'm Green Diva Meg. 
listen to over 500 Green Divas podcasts, and learn lots of low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green at thegreendivas.com. This is Mike Novak. Serious and even not so serious gardeners in the Chicago area know that there's a year-round resource that always comes in handy, Chicagoland Gardening Magazine. It's the garden magazine for our region, and it's packed with information about plants indoors and out. Every issue contains insightful articles by gardening pros, fantastic photos, science, and more. With features like what to do in the garden, design tips, and Chicagoland natives, you're going to be ready to grab a trowel and dig. Even I have a column in the inside back page of every issue. It's practically fact-free, and I'm proud of it. Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, a publication of state-by-state gardening magazines. Go to chicagolandgardening.com and get a subscription. If you're in other parts of the Midwest or the South, try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-3600. And yet another Dirty Water song. <laughs> I didn't know there was more than one, and then I... That's Foo Fighters there, so we've got the uh, Chandels, and we've got the Foo Fighters talking about Dirty Water. I could have played Don Henley's uh, Dirty Laundry as well, but that's what you get when you wash it in dirty mm-hmm. water. So welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We've got Deborah Shore in the studio and talking about the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District and a bunch of things. And I and I asked a very loaded question before we went to break here. And I will uh, say, Deborah, that I'm aware that you have a non-disclosure clause with your past executive director. Uh, and, and for those folks who don't know, uh, he left, uh, David St. Pierre left the organization, resigned, uh, really, it seems suddenly, uh, last year and then has been replaced by Brian Perkovich. Uh, and there was not a lot said about it. In fact, uh, again, it was something that you was brought up to you in an interview and you mentioned transparency and you said transparency for an organization is good. This was not particularly transparent. Um, does that hurt you guys? Mike, let me circle back to what you started to say, and then I'm happy to address your okay. question about transparency. First of all, I want to congratulate Commissioner Carrie Steele <laughs> okay. on, on her election as our board president. I want to congratulate Brian Perkovich on his selection as our new executive director. I also want to note that I think it's an especially exciting and propitious time for the district because we also have three new members mm-hmm. of our Board of Commissioners. Yes, you do. Commissioner yes. Marcelino Garcia, Commissioner Cam Davis, and Commissioner Kimberly Dubuclay, bringing energy, ideas, and a lot of uh, commitment to doing good work. And I don't know that I can recall a time when there have been three new members of the board at once. Mm. So I think that uh, we're all looking to do great things and good work in in collaboration and partnership with each other. To your point about transparency, I think transparency and accountability is always important for public agencies. We're stewards of public money, and that's why I've been working for a number of years to try to establish an independent inspector general at the Water Reclamation District, Mm -hmm. an agency of our size with the millions of dollars in contracts every year, 
ought to have that kind of independent oversight. It's just a good government practice. And happily, I think we're very close to uh, getting there in establishing one for our agency. And I think that will help uh, in moving us towards greater transparency and accountability. You know, uh, at the time, and, and you can find some of this information on my website, MikeNovak.net. I, I link to a lot of things that uh, the board does and some of the stories about Deb as she was running for office last year. Uh, you talked about the new uh, executive director and the new president. Um, you, at the time, were looking forward to a new executive director uh, and a new president. And is how does... You mentioned you, you you touched on it just a second ago, but how does that change the direction of the organization? What what do you think is is first uh, on your agenda to get, to accomplish now with with the new blood? Well, I think we need to discuss that among ourselves. For me personally, I want to see a recommitment to our core mission, mm-hmm. to making sure that we are fulfilling our mission of protecting. Lake Michigan and managing stormwater, we need to focus on the facilities and on our people and make sure that they are safe and secure. Uh, we have aging infrastructure, as Peggy noted, our, our treatment plants, some of them are coming up on 90 years old or 100 years old. And we do keep refurbishing them and repairing them, but we need to make sure we're not deferring maintenance and we can fulfill our core mission. After that, we have to address flooding and basement backups throughout Cook County. Which still happen. If you if you read the article that was in Slate, that, that stuff still happens. Uh, anybody who's had their basement flooded knows that. I get mine. Mine gets flooded uh, yeah. in the in Logan Square, all right? And uh, and it might be something that I've done, and it might be, you know, because they're, they're, you have to keep the maintenance up in your own home, but sometimes it's not the fault of the homeowner at all. That's right. And so... We are uh, working on master stormwater plans with communities throughout Cook County. Uh, we have five demonstration areas and want to expand those to develop 100-year stormwater plans for how do we uh, help communities become resilient and manage the water. Well, I know Randall uh, was mentioning the Stickney plant. You just uh, talked about the Stickney plant. And, Randall, you had some comments uh, in the break that uh, you wanted to bring up for Deborah. Yeah, I just wanted to just actually commend those you guys on how amazing the Stickney plant is. Just I drove by it a couple of weeks ago and looking at just the, the sheer mass and size and looking at how much. I was just looking at a couple of facts of how much water goes through it. It goes over a million gallons a minute through that plant you look at most uh, wastewater plants you get that about a day mm-hmm. you know about most plants are about a day this one does a million gallons a minute and the other thing i found really interesting because i live in northwest indiana so i'll take 80 to 294 and you go over the thornton quarry and how you turned that into a reservoir and how you blew that out and how that became pretty much the big catch-all for the city of chicago is one of the coolest things i've seen so just commend <laughs> accommodation for you guys for that Well, thanks, Randall. It is quite remarkable. And one other point I'd make, Mike and Peggy, is that, you know, people don't comment when there's a rainstorm and their basements don't flood. Yeah. And the the fact that that may be happening with more frequency, that we're preventing some of these instances. Maybe when you do your newsletters, and I get your newsletter every now and then, you need to say, hey, we had a rainstorm. I'll bet your basement didn't flood. 
That's, true. that's not a bad right. thing to do. The other thing I, I want to point out is that with hurricanes, with tornadoes, these are natural events, and we can prepare for them, but we can't prevent them. And with some of these more intense rainstorms, they are akin to a hurricane or a tornado, and we can prepare for them, but we can't prevent them. Mm-hmm. And yet, because we pay water and sewer fees, because we have infrastructure, we expect it to be able to deal with storms no matter what magnitude they are. Mm-hmm. And we just can't. What's the status of uh, disinfection in the uh, Chicago River? You have have it happening in a couple of spots. Some people ask about whether it can yep. be done at Stickney. I, and, I read and we've st- got a question here related to that, too. Okay. Uh, throw that in as well. Um, there's a question... Sorry, something else just popped in uh, about when are, is the disinfection and cleaning going to start happening at the Skokie facility and reducing the smell along McCormick? So two separate things. Disinfection using ultraviolet light has been underway at the O'Brien plant at the corner of Howard and McCormick in Skokie since March of 2016. Mm-hmm. And it is only deployed during the recreational season when people are out along the waterways from March until about the end of November. But the the wastewater that is discharged into the North Shore Channel is disinfected using ultraviolet light uh, since March of 2016. At the Calumet plant, that's been underway uh, also since a little bit earlier. There they're using chlorine and then dechlorinating but are discharging disinfected, treated water into the CalSAC channel during the recreational season. Uh, The reason we're not doing it at Stickney yet is that it's the Illinois Pollution Control Board and the Illinois EPA that conducts a a user uh, attainability analysis. That's a lot of words to say. Are people recreating along that portion of the waterway, Mm -hmm. and do they risk uh, any diseases from contact with the water. In fact, in that stretch of the waterway downstream from the Stickney plant, there there is barge traffic, there's some commercial boat traffic, but far less recreational use than these other stretches of the Chicago waterways. Let's go. We've, we've only got a few minutes left here. I want to go some, some, through some things really fast. Okay, one of the things we talked about on this show uh, not too long ago was the easement at Canal Shores Golf Course uh, mm-hmm. between Evanston and Wilmette. And there was a vote by the MWRD to allow that to be turned into a road. There's a hue and cry over that. Uh, what's that all about? Why did that happen? And what do you see happening next? Uh, complica- and, and by the way, I know you voted against it. Okay. I did. Yes. It's a complicated and gnarly issue. Uh The land along the North Shore Channel on both sides of the bank is owned by the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District. It built the North Shore Channel that was completed in 1910. And almost since then, the Wilmette Park District and the city of Evanston have uh, benefited from public use of that green space along the North Shore Channel. They operate a public community golf course uh, called Canal Shores. Which, and I play at with that with Rick DeMaio occasionally, so there you go. It's the <laughs> least expensive round of golf anywhere in <laughs> along the North Shore. Absolutely. It gets a ding. <laughs> it, it's a true community course, but even more than that, 
many people use that to walk their dogs, to exercise, to jog, to cross-country ski. Exactly, yes. It's a tremendous public amenity. And yet a uh, investor who had purchased a private parcel of land that's landlocked. Right. Uh, north of Isabella, south of Maple, uh, locked in by the CTA tracks on the west and by land owned by the Water Reclamation District on the south and east and by privately owned homes on the north, uh, sought to have a road built to access his property and sought an easement uh, along water reclamation land to build a road to access his property. Uh, It goes against some of the policies that the district's board has set to treat land along the North Shore Channel north of Devon as open and green space Mm -hmm. for recreational use. But uh, the vote was five to four to approve that easement, which was requested by the Cook County Department of Transportation and Highways Mm -hmm. on behalf of this private property owner. Do you see it still happening? I know there are other votes that need to happen at this point, not just MWRD. Well, we will seek to place a number of reasonable conditions on the easement. So it's going to happen, is what you're saying? I don't know yet. Okay. All right. Uh, Hang on a second. We got Rick DeMaio coming up. He's in the Poconos. (laughs) Uh, We'll see if we can get a hold of him. But even if we do, I have one more question I want to ask, which will relate to the kinds of things that Rick DeMaio talks about as a teacher. Uh, and, uh, and I will ask that question. That is uh, Deborah Shore from the MWRD. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, Mr. DeMaio, and we hope a forecast coming up next. From boat to doorstep. You can have the best in premium and sustainable Alaskan seafood right here in the Midwest. Sitka Salmon Shares is an Alaskan community-supported fishery, or CSF, comprised of small boat family fishermen from southeast Alaska. They're supported by 4,000 CSF members, and you can be one, too. Sign up at SitkaSalmonShares.com to receive fresh Alaska salmon, whitefish, and more in shares ranging from three to nine months. Use promo code MikeNovak18 for $25 off. Go to SitkaSalmonShares.com. Wild Things is back, and good grammar has not went. We're talking about the 2019 Wild Things Conference on February 23rd at the Donald E. Stevens Convention Center in Rosemont. There's nothing like it anywhere else in the country as naturalists, citizen scientists, conservationists, birders, and more converge for nine hours of seminars, comedy, workshops, and goodwill. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki is a media sponsor again this year. Go to wildthingscommunity.org. Stay in touch with The Mike Novak Show. Find us on Facebook at The Mike Novak Show. Use the Twitter handle at MikeNow. Send us a photo on Instagram at The Mike Novak Show or write to us, Mike at MikeNovak.net. Speaking of the website, podcasts and blog posts are available every week at MikeNovak.net. And while you're there, sign up for those posts and our newsletter on the homepage. And please support the sponsors who support us. Look for logos and specials at MikeNovak.net. If you're looking to invest in an electrical car or truck, make sure to hire a state-licensed electrical contract. The installation of that charger will require a permit in most municipalities. So make sure to check the ICC website for a certified contractor at icc.illinois.gov. You can also call DNR Services Unlimited. They've been a licensed electrical contractor since 1992. Visit their website at restorethenorthshore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. It'll be easy to find someone cheaper, but a lot harder to find someone better. 
Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Uh, I'm happy to go to the Poconos and bring in our meteorologist, Rick DeMaio. Rick, are you with us? Yeah, I'm with you guys. Um, how are you guys doing back in cold Chicago? <laughs> it's very cold this morning. As I was but on the my, sun uh, is out. The sun is out. That's a good thing. I I, I noticed yeah. it, was, it was eight degrees on my way up here this morning. So that's pretty much right on schedule, I assume. Um, just so you know, Rick, we have um, Deborah Shore, uh, MWRD commissioner, in the studio here with us. Uh, hey, Rick. And uh, have you guys met before? Oh, totally. I'm a Rick DeMeo fan. Oh, see, there we go. You got you got a fan here, Rick. Uh, Is that Deborah Shore? Yes. yes. Hi, Deborah. How are you? We haven't seen each other in a couple of years. Let's do it, Rick. We got a lot to talk about. We- yeah, I know. We, um, Mike uh, and Peg, Deborah and I like ships that kind of pass through the night. <laughs> um, when we when we do get close to each other, we bump into each other. We talk for hours, and like. What we talk about is like what happened in the last year and what could happen over the next year. So we we need to set another uh, course that directs our ships towards one another. <laughs> well, I've got one more question. Two things. First of all, I want to thank Deb yeah. she, for coming in. She brought me a book called Chicago's Fabulous Fountains by Greg Borzo with photographs by Julia Thiel uh, or Thiel. Uh, and Deborah wrote the preface to the book. Oh, nice. And so I thank you so much for that. It was published in 2017, and I can't wait to look through it. Uh, but the other thing, it, it re- relates to you, Rick, because one of the questions I wanted to ask Deborah, because she wrote about it uh, on her website, which is how to get young people. And I hope, uh, Ellie, you're listening to this, how to get people, young people, because Ellie just graduated from environmental studies at Loyola, and Rick teaches there how to get young people involved in, well, water reclamation. How do you get them interested in wastewater treatment and the workforce? And as I mentioned to Deb off air, it's not, doesn't sound like a glamorous job at all. So how do you, and I, and I figured we draw you into that, Rick, because it relates to what you teach. So Deborah, you start on that. A couple of things, Mike, and that's an excellent question. Many water and wastewater utilities are going to see enormous turnover in their workforce in the next decade. Mm -hmm. We project that 50 percent of our workforce will retire over the next decade. So there are going to be jobs, Mm -hmm. and they're good jobs. They pay well. The work is interesting, and we have a vital mission in protecting the water quality in Lake Michigan and the drinking water supply for millions of people. I think one way to interest people is to go on a tour of our wastewater plant to meet some of the engineers and the building trades people and Mm -hmm. the others who work at our agency and learn about what they do and the challenges. And I tell young people, you want to go into an arena where they're going to be guaranteed jobs, do something with water. Ah, that's a really good point. And, There's going to be and, a job. you know, not only wastewater, but uh, Deborah and I have always been able to join forces on me writing reports for us, for her, on, you know, flooding. And people don't realize that, that most of the Chicagoland area is actually in a floodplain. And if you want to see flood con- uh, control and prevention and mitigation adaptation happening right now, when you get a chance to drive out to Des Plaines and ride it along uh, the intersection of River Road and Northwest Highway, uh, that whole area, River Road, is under construction. They're they're doing the second or third phase. They're lifting the roadway. They're raising um, the flood wall, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem, though, is all that does is it pushes more water downstream. <laughs> so, you know, are we just continuing <laughs> to push these floodwaters further downstream? But clearly, in that area, the water is actually going a little bit more off to the east in what's called that Methodist United Camp, which that thing floods all the time anyway. So oh, yeah. It's been, I've been there. What Deb yeah. was talking about is not only, um, you know, thinking about water reclamation, uh, but also what to do with the water once it floods. And clearly we've seen that flooding has become more of a problem with the warmer, um, you know, a warmer atmosphere. And I'm living it right now. I mean, I'm, I'm in the middle of this huge storm moving up the East Coast, again, fueled by a very strong, you know, current off the Gulf of Mexico and the Pacific Ocean. At this time, it's 53 in Newark. It's 30 um, in Monticello, New York, which is just east of where I am, at 7 up in Binghamton. And these, these fantastic temperature wow. gradients is not just due to the fact that it's warm or cold, but it's the moisture that holds on to the warmth. So we're seeing more and more of these type of storms, which is heavy snow, sleet, and freezing rain. And what we're worried about here is power lines coming down. We actually filled up the bathtub with water last night because if the power goes out, you can't flush the toilets and use the water to flush the toilets. So we actually did mitigation efforts last night, knowing that we could lose power due to the fact that hmm. you have many more ice storms in this part of the United States. That's uh, th- that's quite. A- you were going to talk about the water being pushed downstream, Deborah, when Rick was talking about that. Well, to Rick's point, also though, if we are going to be making our region more resilient, installing more green infrastructure, there are jobs to install and maintain these installations mm-hmm. of rain gardens, of permeable parking lots, of green alleys. Mm-hmm. We need crews that municipalities engage to keep those operating the way they should by uh, maintaining the plantings, by vacuuming the permeable parking lots, a range of things. There is a green infrastructure certification program that the National Association of Clean Water Agencies has uh, promoted. So there are going to be lots of jobs, arborists, planting trees, and uh, maintaining green spaces that we need. Uh, okay, now yeah, and, and to dovetail on Deb's point, uh, that area called the Big Bend area, the Des Plaines River, that's all been bought out by FEMA. Uh, those, those houses were built back in the 50s because you can see the river, but now the river is basically coming up to the front of these people's homes. Yeah. And, we, you know, we kind of screwed them. So I think what Deborah's talking about from a standpoint of not only do you adapt and mitigate by building flood control systems, but you also do it from a flood prevention standpoint, which is not let so much water go into the river itself. Okay. We've got just a couple of minutes here, Rick. Uh, uh, Peggy, you had two questions we needed to get answered. One was about the eclipse tonight, and what was the other one? And the other was just commemorating 9th, January twentieth, 1985, the coldest day in recorded Chicago history. Right. Oh, yeah. 20, 27 below. 7 below zero, I think it was. Yeah. yeah. The wind chill was like 50 below. Um, well, I was up in Madison. It was much colder on that day. But uh, to go back to your point about the eclipse, I know we only have a short amount of time. There's going to be a lot of lake effect snow clouds just to the east of us. It's going to be one of those things where the moon will rise, but I think the first hour and a half you won't see the moon. But about, say, 8.30 or 9 o'clock, you may see the moon rise above the lake effect snow clouds. And then we should get a pretty good view of it. If the wind does blow a little bit more onshore, eh, all bets are off across eastern Cook County. You may have to drive out to, like, Aurora to, or Batavia mm. to see it. But you should be able to see it out there. We got, uh, I got a little extra uh, lake effect snow last night until about 10 o'clock, and then it it just seemed to stop overnight. I didn't get any more accumulation overnight. Are we going to get more tonight? 
Yeah, I, I think uh, east of, say, Ashland Avenue, there's a pretty good chance of seeing maybe a dusting, two to four inches, probably Lake County, Indiana. But this was an interesting event because it was three parts. It was system snow, lake-enhanced snow, and lake effect. And lake-enhanced meaning means that you have the lake wide open this time of the year. Think about it. January 20th, there's no ice on Lake mm-hmm. Michigan. Right. So a lot of meteorologists that I was talking to, you had to consider an onshore flow with water temperatures of 35 degrees, and that's what enhanced some of the snowfall to the north. And then the cold air coming down the length of the lake has given us what we call pure lake effect. All right. Give us a 20-second forecast here. Sure. Uh, so a little bit of lake, lake effect snow today, high near 10 uh, tomorrow, temperatures in the mid-teens, and the next system comes at us with a mixture of rain, sleet, and snow on Tuesday. Right now, one model takes it north, one model takes it south. Tomorrow, we'll tell you which model we're going with. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we won't be on, but we'll get your email. Thanks, Rick. Have a great time. I'm sure. Take care. Nice to talk to you, Deb. Yeah, Rick. Uh, I want to thank everybody on the show today. Susan Martin, Laura Dieter, uh, of course, uh, Deb Shore from the MWRD, Randall, Ellie, Rick DeMaio, Peggy, me. I guess that's it. Until next time, go green or go home. Uh, Stadler? Uh, What? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much. (laughs) 